So we're here today to talk about Banned Books Week, which begins September 24th, 2017. And this is an event that's organized to celebrate our freedom to read. During this event, many people come together to support the freedom to seek and express ideas. And as the ALA states on their website, these ideas obviously could even be unorthodox or unpopular, which is a lot of the reason why they're banned. The ALA Office for Intellectual Freedom puts out an annual list of the 10 most challenged books for that year. So you will be able to access that on online. Uh, our very own Pat Peters is a member of the ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom, and she has compiled a list of frequently challenged children's books. And this is also available on the ALA's website. And I believe that um, website is ala.org. Org, if you wanted to go to that. So, do you have like a favorite book that has been banned? I don't have a favorite. What has been very interesting to me in this process um, this year is it's the first time I've really thought a whole lot about banned books. Mm -hmm. And so, the funny thing about that is that it makes me want to read them. So, right, yeah. <laughs> you think about that with your children. <laughs> Unfortunately, you tell them you can't do something, and that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So I've got several books here. Um, I've got a list uh, and some reasons why some books were challenged. But do you have a favorite you want to talk about first? Um, well, there's a couple. From the top 10 list of 2016, there was Eleanor and Park, written by Rainbow Rowell which I love. It is set in 1986, and it's about two teenagers that fall in love. And Eleanor is the new kid coming into the high school, and she's got this wild red hair and dresses a little weird, and everybody, you know, starts to just sort of be a little weary of her, and she becomes more of a target and Park is an Asian boy who really loves comic books and, you know, a lot of the great 80s music. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> and so they meet and, you know, they fall in love. And it was challenged because it had offensive language. Now, is this is a YA book, I'm assuming? Yes. Okay. Which means young adult. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Definitely for the, I would say... 13 to, but yep, they do definitely drop some F-bombs in there. Okay. And so it was challenged for offensive language. I personally think that this is stuff they hear every day, mm -hmm. things that they're saying every day. And we might not like it, but it is definitely a part of teen culture. It is, unfortunately. I mm -hmm. mean, even thinking back when I was in high school. I know that's longer than when y'all were in high school, but <laughs> <laughs> if we compare stories, it's probably not that different right. of mm -hmm. what we experienced in our own high schools, even yeah. with the, the age difference. Well, when I was in school, they didn't even wait till high school. Right. Know, it's yeah. It seems like it's getting it's like to be I'm, younger I was younger. in fifth grade and, and like I had come from an elementary school where nobody said anything like that. And then all of a sudden I go to this other school and everybody's just like, Says whatever they want. I'm <laughs> just swearing up a storm. Yeah. So That's yes, it's it's true. It is not like anything that it's not like it's something they're not exposed to in their actual life anyway. Mm -hmm. So And I think it comes from all of the same reasons that we have the like you were saying earlier about banned books. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to say that. And so it becomes a lot more exciting. Yes. When you do. So you can get in trouble. Well, and one of the things that I came across, <clears throat> excuse me, when we were, or when I was looking at the books lists, were that the reasons for them being banned were the same. I mean, it was a language or sexual content, mm -hmm. or I mean, there were just like three or four main reasons most of the time that the books were being challenged or were banned. So one of the things, uh, one of the books that I picked up today was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. So obviously that's like ghost stories and mm -hmm. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, we told ghost stories when we were kids. It's just kind of one of the things we did. And this um, book was banned, I believe, because of those reasons. Uh, but I started reading it today, and have you all read it? Oh, yeah. I, I've, read, I've read some of those. Yeah. Okay. So it's really just a um, short little bits of things of how you can scare your friends, really. <laughs> it's I how to tell a story little, so that it's scary. Little pieces of scary stories. And I think the yeah. scariest parts of those books are the illustrations. The artwork. Yeah. I was yes. always under the impression that it was banned because of the artwork. Yeah, well, I would think that it was I'm, the art than anything else. Which is, some of it is kind of grotesque. There is a That's new scary. edition of these that has completely different artwork. It's yeah, they're not different illustrator, not the same kind of scary mm-hmm. at all. Hmm. Well, it says here um, from one of the sources that I had looked at, it says these... Um, Books were banned in between 1990 and 1999, and it says the reason because they inspired they were inspired by folk tales and urban legends were basically terrifying. But then again, so was everyone poops, and nobody ever banned that. <laughs> uh, I think it's been challenged. Yeah, I do think it has. Been it may, <laughs> but no, no one ever does ban it. So another one that I came across today was a Maurice Sendak book, Mm -hmm. and it was titled In the Night Kitchen, and I had not (laughs) ever read it before. You hadn't read In the Night Kitchen before? I hadn't. I mean, Where the Wild Things Are was the main book of his that Mm -hmm. I had read, and I remember from a kid, that was one of my favorite books. But this one was challenged... Because the pictures, the little boy didn't have clothes on for a lot of the book. It wasn't a lot of the book. It was like four pages. Mm-hmm. Because then he's wearing cake batter. <laughs> and then guess, again, he's yeah. without clothes again mm-hmm. at the end. You wouldn't but. want him dropping in there with clothes on. Dropping into that cake batter. <laughs> right? <laughs> That'd be gross. So it was challenged for... Nudity? Mm-hmm. Yes, it says because he spends his entire dream naked. But that's not completely true. But it's been on the list for the past 25 years. Yeah. Right. Mm. Actually, a few years ago, we came across one of our copies of The Night Kitchen where someone had drawn little pants on him. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Very meticulously, too. Yes. Little brown underwear. Yes. On every single page. If wow. you didn't know that he was naked and you flipped through there, you, you would think that he was wearing little brown pants. Wow. You know, time. something that I thought of also because I was looking through our catalog to see which of these books we had. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't have all of them, but, you know, we have quite a few. And some of the ones that we didn't, I looked in the consortium to see if they had it. And it was interesting that some of them were there, but they had not been returned. And the thought went through my mind if maybe somebody just took the book and didn't return it Mm -hmm. because of those reasons. Yeah, both good examples of freelance censorship. Right. In a previous library where I worked, um, we had the books by Robbie Harris and the books by Linda Medeiros that are about growing and changing your body for kids who are about to go through puberty. And there was the one set of books that just kept coming up missing. And it turns out it was one family, one mom, who decided those books should not be available to her children so she would check them out and lose them. Wow. And it turns out what she ended up doing is, is giving this author tons of our money because we kept buying new copies. And then she kept checking them out under someone else's card because hers was banned or, you know, whatever. And so she, we probably bought six copies of those books because of this one family where the mom thought these books should not be available to my children. And instead of coming to us and talking to us about it, she did this passive-aggressive kind of thing to keep them. Well, and also keep them talking to her own kids. children about them. I mean, that seems to be the easiest solution of, I don't want my kids to read this. 
let me talk well, to my children. Well, it wasn't. She didn't <laughs> think they were appropriate for anybody's kids, and that's where you get into censorship. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, every parent has the right to say to their child, "No, I don't want you checking that right. out." But when it when it comes to, I don't think this book should be on the shelves. That's where the censorship really shows up. When I started my degree for my MLS, Master's in Library Science, I my very first class I had to interview a director and we were talking about books being available and not being able to censor as a librarian. And it just hit me that as a parent... My child could go into a public library and check out any book Absolutely. that they wanted to. So I thought, well, I don't think I really want my child to check out, you know, James Patterson books or um, Stephen King or Nora Roberts for, you know, various different reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having the conversation with her, it's like it's, it, it's not the librarian's job to censor basically what a child can read and what they can't read it's the parent's job to keep an eye on what the kid is reading and that made me feel better I guess that I have control over that in that respect but it was still a little frightening to me that that my child could go in Mm -hmm. and have access to anything that was in the library but that's what it's all about is access that's what a public Mm -hmm. library is here for is to to make access available for you know whatever somebody wants and of course a parent has the the right and the responsibility to decide what their child is going to to choose but well it's it's also different from a librarian's perspective because we do not know the age of the child we do not know the education level we don't know anything about that child as it comes into the library and one mom may think that a book on art is appropriate for her child because that's what they're studying whereas another one may say no that's showing nudity to my child and I don't want them to see that so as the librarian we have no way of knowing what the parent wants or you know what could be appropriate for that child and what's not so one of the books I wanted to talk about and it was really interesting and I guess the reason I want to talk about it is because it's something that as and citizens we need to be aware of challenges but not just take them for what they are Mm -hmm. for example um, brown bear brown bear Yes. I was going to ask if we were going to talk about that one. Please, let's talk about that one there. So, I mean, very innocent children's book where um, it's brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? And you turn the page and you you see another animal looking at me. Well, um, somebody had decided that the book should be, be, be banned because of who the author was. They thought that it was... Tell me again. As I remember it, <laughs> Bill Martin Jr., who is the author of Brown Bear, Brown Bear, was mistaken for a Bill Martin who had written some kind of government something or policy statement that the Texas State Board of Education thought was subversive and should not be in the classroom. So Bill Martin... Bill Martin Jr., Bill Martin writing policy statement, Bill Martin Jr. writing picture books. Our State Board of Education members didn't bother to find out the difference between the two and banned Bill Martin every iteration. So they didn't bother to even read the book to see what kind of subversive material... Content. You know, those picture books, they're pretty subversive sometimes. (laughs) Well... And, I mean, even to look at the pictures, like, you know, we were talking about Marie Sendak in mm-hmm. the Night Kitchen, the pictures and that, but which brings to mind another book about the pictures, mm-hmm. which was Where's Waldo, mm-hmm. which was banned because one of the images in one of the books was a nude sunbather. I don't know if it was just topless or what. I don't know that you could tell. <laughs> Probably <laughs> so. She's so tiny. So tiny. <laughs> 
So, uh, but they had since reprinted that book without that image, or, you know, maybe they drew a top on her. I don't know what that was all about, but. Well, that's what those books were all about, including all kinds of unusual people yeah. as many as you could on one page to make it hard to find Waldo. Yeah. Well, and I guess some kids are different, but for me, I was trying to find Waldo. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she didn't really have looking. red and white stripe skip Move over. over. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I guess there are some who are more detailed and just looking around, I guess, but it it's interesting to me that most almost entirely every challenge that comes, it's the parent's issue with the material, mm-hmm. not the child's issue with the material. Right. Sometimes yes. I had a situation in another library where a 12, 13, I guess 13-year-old checked out a book called Suicide Notes by Gary Schmidt. And it's the story of a boy who is keeping a journal while he's in a mental institution um, after having tried to commit suicide. 13-year-old who had checked out the book was reading it and came to a passage that she was a little disturbed about or upset about or confused about or something and went and talked to her mom. And this would have been, you know, in, in the the world of perfect parenting, this would have been a great teachable moment to talk with this child about whatever the situation was. Mm -hmm. Instead, the mom freaked out, immediately came up to the library, threw the book down in front of us and said, how dare you let my child check this book out? Well, it turns out this book was on the Texas Tayshos list, which is a high school reading list. In this particular library, our young adult section included middle school and high school books, and the Tayshas reading list was displayed right next to the middle school Lone Star reading list. It was right there. The child picked it up, checked it out, brought it home, and started reading. And I believe the scene she was upset about was about three-quarters of the way through the book. So the incident was three-quarters of the way through the book, The mom didn't take the opportunity to talk to her 12, 13-year-old about having chosen a book entitled Suicide Notes in the first place, about what she had read up to this point and what was going on in the Mm -hmm. story, what had happened to this child, what made this, this reader decide that this was a book she was interested in. Very well may have been that she was... Going just a tough time. thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, what are my options? Life's not good. She had a friend who had been talking to her about suicide or about depressing thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. There, there had to be some reason that this child checked out this book. Mm-hmm. But instead, the mom brought it to us and, and made a big fuss about the fact that we had made this book available to her child. And she read it and was upset. It ended up staying on the shelf, of course, because it had great reviews. It had won mm-hmm. awards. It was on reading lists from here and there and everywhere. But the whole incident was just horrible for us and for the, the family because of the way it was handled. And, mm-hmm. and I can understand a parent reading something that, that is very unpleasant and uncomfortable to read and being concerned for their child, but when that child has specifically chosen a book that's about an uncomfortable subject, they need to take that opportunity to talk to their child Mm -hmm. instead of accusing the library of trying to undermine their parenting. Well, I think it was very telling that the child went to the parent to ask questions, Mm -hmm. which was very good, Mm -hmm. and like you said, could have opened up a discussion and built that trust even more between the two instead of teaching the child that it's somebody else's fault Mm -hmm. that you read this and so most of the books that are challenged then are children's and young adults yes most yes there are a few that and I always find it so surprising when an adult challenges an adult book I as an adult have the right to read whatever I want and no other adult can tell me that I can't read that. <laughs> and so to me, it's always, you know, just 
utterly surprising that there's at least one adult in the world that thinks that they, above all, should make this decision for all the other adults. <laughs> but doesn't that go into other areas, too? Like, even food. Aren't they? Aren't they? <laughs> right. I you mean, can eat whatever sh- you want, Don. But about... Thank <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, goodness. <You> just- <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, weren't they trying to limit, like, sugars or something? Oh, yeah. With the sodas or fast food? I don't know. There was something that that they were trying to say we could not eat. And I'm thinking, I am an adult. I can choose what to put in my body. That's right. It's so it's interesting to me that the thing about adults wanting to ban adult materials, it's that whole thing about the definition of pornography. Mm-hmm. And for some people, their their tolerance for whatever is very low. For other people, it's very high. And so for someone else to say, well, you know, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it, and that's it. For the next person, it's not. That's not it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, On the top 10 list for 2015, I noticed that the Holy Bible was challenged. Mm -hmm. And it was challenged for having a religious viewpoint. Why, yes, it does. And I'm just like, (laughs) well... That's kind of the whole point of the Holy Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. One of the things about that list, though, is it doesn't tell you in what situation the challenge occurred. Right. So what can you think of a situation where to say a book with a specific religious viewpoint is inappropriate? Well, I don't know. It seems like in... At least in libraries, it seems like a lot of that has to do with we need to have everything available. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes, we have we have the Holy Bible, but we also have the Quran, and we have, you know, East, Eastern philosophy and Eastern religions. Like, I can see where someone would challenge if all you had was the Holy Bible and nothing else, or all you had was, mm-hmm. you know, some other religious viewpoint, mm-hmm. and you didn't have anything else. Mm-hmm. And that... I can see where that would someone might challenge that, but I'm, I imagine that that's I, I don't know maybe that was maybe that was the, the case there maybe it not was. I don't know. It's always interesting in a public library or public school setting to know how how much is okay as far as bringing in something like a religious viewpoint. I know in in my career as a children's librarian trying to decide if it's okay to have an Easter-themed story time or a Christmas-themed story time, um, even though we're not going to read the story of Jesus' birth or resurrection, we're not going to do that in story time in a public arena, but just Christmas is, is so much more than the religious celebration. There's so much more in the culture So that one is not so difficult to decide. But when it comes to Easter, yes, we've got an Easter bunny. Yes, we've got Easter eggs. But all of that is so closely tied to the religious observance that that, for me, gets to be a a real gray area. Mm -hmm. Is is it okay to have an Easter egg hunt, to have an Easter-themed story time in a public library? Well, this is probably another podcast (laughs) topic, but... um, maybe. I think maybe what we need to do is do a search on the meaning of Easter mm-hmm. and its origins. Oh, that gets into a bunch of different mm-hmm. podcast because, topics. Yes, sure. because it's actually pagan. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And right. the the reason that we have eggs is for the god of fertility. Right. So, I mean, if you really wanted to make a fuss about it, there's, I mean, it it's not both ways. right. Well, exactly. yeah, the fuss could be, why are you throwing in Christian religion, or the fuss could be, why are you bringing in pagan celebrations, mm-hmm. right. or the fuss could be, bunnies don't lay eggs. Yeah, that's biologically incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's one of the things about challenges. I I teach at at Texas Women's University with the children's literature. And one of the classes is, you knew I was going to talk about this, right? One of the, the things that we talk about is censorship and challenges and where those can come from. And 
the fact is you can get a challenge to a book from any direction mm-hmm. at all. It can come from the religious right or the the political left or the anybody. It, it you cannot possibly preempt every possible challenge. You can't mm-hmm. imagine every possible challenge that could come. So if someone came to our library and found an item on the shelves that they thought should not be there, whether it shouldn't be in the library at all, in their opinion, or it should be in a different area or whatever, the first thing they would need to do is just come talk to one of us, talk to a staff person. Um, I'm, if I'm available, I'm always happy to talk to them. You know, any other full-time person here can sit down and talk with them about their concerns. Um, if after that discussion, they still believe that that item should not be where it is, um, then we have a formal process to go through. They, they can fill out a, a challenge form that a request for reconsideration, it's what it's called. Um, So they're asking us to reconsider having that item in our library or in that particular place. And following that, when we receive that formal complaint, we put together a group of three staff members who will be tasked then to read or listen or view that item and come back with a report and a recommendation. So what they're what they have to do is, as I said, read, listen, or view the entire thing, um, look up any um, professional reviews of that item, and then put together a report and a recommendation about whether it should stay where it is, whether it should go away, whether it should move to a different area, what they recommend about the disposition of that item. And then that comes to to me as the director, and then I make a decision based on that report and let the, the person who's concerned know what that decision is. If they don't agree with that decision and, and want to appeal it, it can go to the library board for appeal. But the, the decision of the library board is final. Of course, if someone really wants to make a fuss and they don't agree with any of that stuff that's gone on before, they can go make a fuss to the city council or the mayor or the city manager because we're a department of the city mm-hmm. of Decatur. It just you know depends on, but we have that policy in place that this is the procedure we will follow. One of the things that, that I remind every student I've ever had is Number one, make sure you have a policy in place for dealing with challenges or complaints. Number two, make sure you follow your procedure, your policy and procedure, because even worse than not having one is having one but not following what it says you're supposed to do. So that's how it goes. So my question is, Mm -hmm. um, somebody challenges Mm -hmm. a book, or what did you call the form? Request for reconsideration. Okay, request for reconsideration. Mm-hmm. So what if somebody else comes in and submits a request for reconsideration of keeping it in the collection? How can we take that out of the collection without other people's views? I can tell you that I have never removed an item from my library collection. I have moved some items from one area to another. Okay. In one case, it had just been miscatalogued, and it was put in the teen section and should have been in the adult section. Okay. In another case, it was one of those that was kind of on the borderline as far as age appropriateness, and we had chosen one way, and we had a challenge, and after looking at it, we decided to move it to the other area. But other than that, I've never even moved anything from the same area based on a challenge. So, okay. I mean, it I know that there are there have been places where um, challenges gained a lot of media attention mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where there were huge groups of people who came in support of banning, in support of keeping and the you know, whoever whatever governing body, county commissioners or library board or whoever it is having to make that decision had a lot of information to consider. But one of the reasons that the the 
recommendations from a lot of library areas and from school districts and from teachers and so forth is to um, include professional reviews of, of material is to get what as close as we can get to um, an objective opinion about the value and quality of the material. Mm -hmm. Every community is different, whether it's a city or a school district or a university or whatever it might be. So every library is not going to have all the same materials, but considering the community that the challenge comes in, having those objective opinions to to bolster whatever decision is made can make all the difference that something slightly objective anyway to right to look at so just out of curiosity how many challenges have you been faced with i guess um here in decatur i believe there have been five four or five over the five years that I've been here, okay. but it's been at least two years, maybe three, since I had one. Um, and in previous libraries, six to eight. Okay, not a lot. Double digits, but less than 20 total. So one of the, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the number uh, or the um, type of books that were uh, being challenged or banned. One of the topics we have not talked about was the LGBT mm -hmm. um, area of books. Um, there's been a lot more of those coming out recently. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. No, really, sorry. not intended. That's, was that's, that... that's my job, I was to make say, jokes like that. Sorry. Was that cheesy and... Cheesy and corny. Yeah. And corny, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Anyway, there was a couple of books that were on the list. Um, Heather Has Two Mommies mm -hmm. was one of them. And Daddy's Roommate was another one that was in the 90s. And those, yeah, those are old. They got a lot of attention early on and not mm -hmm. so much anymore. Now, the big subject is transgender. Okay, because it does say here that those two books have been removed from... The ALA's top 100 right um, they, challenged books. Yeah, they, they haven't been. As far as I know, they've yeah. not been in the top several in at least 10 years, maybe mm. longer. Oh than goodness! That. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure you know there are places where somebody is still discovering them and, right. and you know saying something, but but it seems like the fact of children having same-sex parents is not so unusual as it used to be. Mm -hmm. It's not hidden like it used to be. So it's not quite that big a concern anymore. I think there are still, every once in a while, challenges to the, the Penguin book. Yes, and Tango Makes Three. And Tango mm -hmm. Makes Three, yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. But yeah, the big, the big topic now, in addition to the YA edgy things, is... Um, seems to be transgender. So I Am Jazz by Jazz Jennings and mm -hmm. Beyond Magento, which I think is a YA collection of yeah, short yes. stories written by transgender teens. Mm -hmm. Those are two that I know have been in the... George, written by oh, Alex yes. Gino. That was also on the, mm -hmm. on the list here for last year, one of the top ten. Uh, drama written by Raina Telgemeier. That was just because of the LGBT right. characters. Right, who is a minor character mm -hmm. in that story. Yeah, yeah, it was about and a girl in middle school working backstage and yeah. her, like, high, her drama yeah. musical, and one of her new friends was gay, and yeah. that was it. Not a big deal. She had a little crush on him, and he told her that he liked boys, and she was like, oh, okay. And they were still friends. And that was <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one that we had a challenge on here. Mm -hmm. um, and we had originally cataloged it into the children's into the graphic novel section and ended up moving it into the, 
the uh, teen, teen yeah, graphic novel section because it's middle school and yeah, it's, well, that's sometimes it hard to tell. I mean, yeah, it's such a cute little story that, for the most part, it's okay for younger kids. But I think the appeal is probably middle schoolers, just because of the you know the the mm-hmm. boy girl stuff going on, right? And the drama. <laughs> Right. That's, that's really happening. And I think the main reason that we had decided to put it in the juvenile section at first was because her other two books right. were juvenile. Right. She wrote Smile and Sisters, and so mm-hmm. yeah. it just seemed, you know, if you were going to look right. for the book, that's where you were going to look for it. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, I wrote an article related to the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and about the the censoring or the challenges to Harry Potter over the years. And one of the things I discovered is that as the Harry Potter books were coming out, not just Harry Potter, but other books related to witches and the occult and all, you know, that those were the topics for challenge, the reasons things were being challenged. And of course, you know, the history of Harry Potter and the, the every one of those books had challenges here and there and for lots of reasons. But J.K. Rowling responding to the the accusations of encouraging children to dabble in the occult by reading her books. And the the people who here and there decided to burn books and Harry Potter was tossed on top just to make a statement, you know, because they were so well, so widely um, sold. But it's been a while now since that was a topic that made the top 10 challenged mm-hmm. books. They come and they go. Uh, it seems like a lot of times things like that are challenged. I don't know. Maybe It seems a lot of times it's just because it's so popular. Right. And it's not like there had never been anything like Harry Potter before that. It's right. just that it wasn't, there wasn't anything that had achieved that kind of popularity mm-hmm. with with young people mm-hmm. and and everybody else i don't know this this is just this <laughs> right. is just like a an opi- more of an mm-hmm. opinion thing i don't know if there's a lot of how much fact there is to back this up but i feel like a lot of times people do stuff like that to gain some form of notoriety themselves oh it's absolutely. like if i challenge this popular thing that'll make me popular absolutely you know, and then people want to agree with me and you get people following those kind of people just blindly and not even considering or, or even like reading the books themselves to see what is actually in them. They're just like, oh, yeah, that guy says that. And so he it must on, be right. It was on the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. I'm always surprised every semester when I teach undergraduates. These are people who are studying to be teachers. They're generally upper level, close to getting their bachelor's degree in teaching certification. And I'm always surprised that I've, I've got at least one whose parents wouldn't let them read Harry Potter just because of what it was and not because those parents had read it and said, no, I don't think this is good for us because they heard what it was about and just said no. You know, I'm always encouraging them to read Harry Potter. <laughs> I just, I think of that a lot coming from the role-playing background oh, because absolutely. during the, the 70s and and I think into the the early '80s, there was the the satanic panic, oh, where people yeah. were you know were trying to ban Dungeons and Dragons because they thought that it was promoting the occult and and you know ritual suicides and Gateway. and crazy stuff like that. And um, I did a lot of research into that, and and it was exactly that kind of instance. Like the main people that were um, endorsing the censorship of the game were just trying to achieve some kind of notoriety themselves. Right. And and if you look into Gary Gygax and his uh, his history, Gary Gygax actually was uh, a Christian, and he created the game with the intent of it being a battle between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say a lot of that because he didn't want it to kind of backfire on him. Him saying that, but that was when when he created the game, that was his intention. So anybody that actually did any investigation into something like that, because I mean. Regardless of what anybody feels about Harry Potter, it essentially is a battle between good and evil. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, right. and it's in a fantastic world. Mm-hmm. That's just, you just, it's just a matter of user discretion. Right. You know. I, I think sometimes there are some people who think anything that's, in a fan, that's set in a fantasy world is automatically 
escapism and not a, a way to learn to live in real life. Mm-hmm. When what they don't understand is that so often those fantasy worlds are obviously any fantasy world that we understand is going to reflect our real world in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a great way for readers to think through and maybe even vicariously experience some things that we don't want them to experience firsthand, but to to figure out now how would I respond to this or how would I acknowledge that? How would I feel about this happening to me? Or being in that situation, what would what would that be like for me? In addition to that, having some kind of understanding or some kind of um, learning tolerance or being able to, to understand people who have different backgrounds and experiences. Yeah, and there was actually a study done pretty recently where they discovered yes. that children who read Harry Potter are actually more empathetic than children that did not read Harry Potter. And I think that comes down to to that. Like you're reading from a different viewpoint mm-hmm. and you're seeing things in a different way and you are more accepting mm-hmm. of these things when you learn about them through that kind of a setting. Right. And so I thought that was very very interesting that mm-hmm. it was and I don't remember the percentage right off the top of my head but it was right. a big percentage. Right. And statistically significant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And just so everybody knows, we're not all Harry Potter fanboys and fangirls here. No. But uh, just because we're not, it's not our favorite doesn't mean we... We don't understand. ...endorse censorship. <laughs> <laughs> You'll still check it out? <laughs> to somebody else? To some, yeah. You'll yeah. Somebody else. Not check it out. Somebody else, yeah. Well, and going back to what you said, Chris, another thing, you know, I'm very um, skeptic, a skeptic sometimes... Do you think that that could have been, you know, for the Harry Potter series, creating that controversy as a marketing scheme? Hmm. I don't think so. I, I think it definitely I think helped. And I think yeah. it definitely was uh, beneficial mm-hmm. to J.K. Rowling. But you don't think her publisher came up with that? No. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think. But I'm just saying. Based I mean, on this person's history, the, the, the two or three incidents that I've seen of book burning... That person has a history, and they're not just a flash in the pan sort of person. We've heard from that person before. They've okay. they've had crazy moments before, mm-hmm. uh-huh. so it's not just that. But yeah. the fact is, you put a book on a challenged list, and sales go up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You put a book behind the desk at a library in a school. Everybody wants to know what's in that book. Mm-hmm. You take a book off the summer reading list because somebody complains about it, every kid in that in that school is going to go to the public library and check it out and read it to find out what was so awful. Mm-hmm. So that happened to me, actually. When I was in... Um, I was probably in high school at the time. There was mm-hmm. a line that was blacked out uh, from one of the books that we had to read for our English class. And I was in the bookstore one day, and I remembered what page it was on. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to find out what that said. I mean, it was just one sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember the book. I don't remember what it was. But it made me want to go find out what it was. If they'd not done that, I probably would have just read over it and not even thought twice about yeah. it. Exactly. Calling attention to something mm-hmm. is just going to make people more curious and want to know about it. Mm-hmm. So... And, and and that's the the other thing that that point I was trying to get to way back there about about it's adults that bring the challenges. A lot of times, kids when they read a book don't even notice the things that the adults get all upset and all up in arms about. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was a um, I had a challenge to Julie of the Wolves by I think it's Jean Craighead George. It's a it's a Newbery Medal winning book. It really is for young adults, but at the time it was written, there wasn't really a young adult section. You know, you just didn't have that. It was a kid's book or it was an adult book, and this was clearly for younger readers. In a previous library, we had all of the Newbery Award books on a shelf right next to the, the desk in the children's section. So there was Julian of the Wolves, and somebody's probably 10, 11-year-old, 11-year-old, I think it was, checked out Julie of the Wolves. And there's a scene in there where it's 
Julie is married to a, a young man who is is um, has some um, a mental handicap and mental disability, and he is kind of prodded by his friends and peers, and he rapes Julie. Even though they're married, he forces himself on her, but it's not... It, it's clearly implied that that's what happens. It's not graphic. It's not spelled out. It doesn't tell you this happened, this happened, this happened. But it's clear that that's what's going on. I, mem- I remember that. And that's why that she book. leaves. Yeah. That's why she leaves him. But this this 11-year-old who had checked this book out didn't understand what had happened and went to her mom and said, Mom, I'm reading this and this, read this because I don't understand and again, the mom could have given her the whatever version of this that, mm-hmm. that she wanted to, but instead she brought it back to us and, and said, how dare you let my child check this out? This is inappropriate. This shouldn't be in the children's area. And, you know, we made the point that, well, it is a, it is a teen fiction book, clearly labeled, but it's here because it's an award winner, and this is the awards section, and that's that's where it belongs. Mm-hmm. And obviously, and it's it's an award winner. We're not getting rid of that book, but but again, the the missed opportunity for that parent to to just give a quick, well, he hurt her, and she shouldn't have. But but these boys were making fun of him, so we thought he had to just to prove to them that he was tough or something. I mean, she could have said that simple an explanation, and the child could have gone on and read the whole story about Julie and the wolves, which is the whole rest of the book, Mm -hmm. and and enjoyed it, and it would have been fine. Instead, this mom had to get all up in arms about all the stuff that we were letting her child read about that the child didn't understand anyway. My child was reading a book, and we were driving in the car, Mm -hmm. and... (laughs) He says, Mom, what is this word? And I said, well, spell it. And he says, P-E-N-A-T-E-N. And, you know, he finished spelling it. And it's like, okay, penitentiary. And so after a minute, he goes, okay, Mom, what is this word? And I said, well, try to sound it out. Or, you know, and he he goes, "Um, cigar. What's a cigar? I said, spell it. And he says, (laughs) C-I-G-A-R. I said, cigar. And he, he did that two or three times. And I'm like, what book are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> it was the Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, just kind of makes you think about what they're reading when they start coming up with these words. <laughs> so, Chris, your point about, about fantasy and good and good versus evil is... That's near and dear to my heart because fantasy is one of my favorite genres to read. And one of my favorite books is um, Madeline LaEngle's A Wrinkle in Time. That book is all about good versus evil. Mm -hmm. It's all about the power of love to win out over everything else. I've had a couple of instances where it was um, challenged, complained about. I, I actually, my first job as a librarian was in a private school. The eighth grade English teacher had chosen A Wrinkle in Time as a, an all-class read. And there were two parents who, I don't know whether they read it along with their kids or had read it before or just found it on a list somewhere or whatever it was. But there are a couple of things in that book that they got upset about. One is there's a character called Mrs. Witch, W-H-I-C-H, but she dresses like a witch in the black <laughs> robe and the hat because mm-hmm. she thinks it's funny. It's a pun to her. Um, and even and even that's like just a caricature. Right. It's like a Halloween she, Right, and she's costume. this is not what she looks like or who she is at all. She's, it's just how she shows herself in her corporeal form and and she thinks it's kind of funny to to do this little halloween costume kind of thing um the other thing is that there's a character in the middle of their their traveling from planet to planet there's a character that's called the happy medium 
and again, it's kind of a, a pun. She wears the traditional gypsy fortune teller garb with the scarves and the, the coin belt and all that. She has a glass a crystal ball, but it can't tell the future. That's not what she is. She can see what's going on in her crystal ball. She can see what's going on on other planets right now. So it's really just a view to what's going on elsewhere. And she's able to show the children what's happening back at home in their families and in their houses and that kind of thing. Kind of like the internet. Kind of like the internet. <laughs> oh, thanks, Dawn. <laughs> now, I think the internet's Sorry. a lot scarier than the happy medium. <laughs> but she's, just because of how she's dressed and her name, the happy medium, these parents got upset and said, I don't want my child reading this book. Well, of course, a school situation, an all-class read, is a very different thing than is it on the shelf in the public library. I'm not sure that if I were teaching 8th grade English, I would choose that book because I think it's more appropriate for 6th grade or a little younger, mm -hmm. even though Meg is the main character is 14, I think. But still, I think the book is, itself is for a little bit younger. But I, I went to the, the headmaster after he had made the decision that, okay, give these, give these kids an alternative to read, pull them out of class when you're discussing this, and don't choose this book next year. That was the decision. I went to him and I said, have you read this book? It is all about what you are trying to, to show in this school. It's, it's about good versus evil. It's, there is nothing, there is no book I've ever read that is more powerful a demonstration of the power of love to triumph over evil. And he said, it doesn't matter. These parents are paying me huge amounts of money to do what to give their children the kind of education they want their children to have. And obviously they don't want their children to read this book, so I can't force them to do that. Yes, those children at that school are not reading A Wrinkle in Time and I'm not sure it's in the library anymore. I only was there with the one year. <laughs> Didn't last long. But That's a good example. Good versus evil. Yep. Fantasy is all about it. Madeline Lengel is one of the most spiritual mm -hmm good versus evil Christian kind of writers, even though she doesn't say I'm a Christian in, in any of her fiction writing, right. it's clearly there if, if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you want, good versus evil from any perspective, but, mm -hmm. but that's who she is. Right. Well, in the Chronicles was. of Narnia. Oh, absolutely. C.S. Yeah. Lewis is all about it. Mm -hmm. He was one of those subversive writers who, <laughs> you know, had all kinds of things to say, but didn't say them right outright. He just made them fun. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't help but think about, you know, you were talking about how on there the Bible was banned for one, yes. one reason. And and that just brings brings me around to like some of the banned books that I've read, which I don't know that I've ever read a book just because it was banned, mm -hmm. but I have certainly read a lot of books that have ban been banned at some point or another. And uh, of course, uh, Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451, oh, yeah. had been you know challenged or banned, and the reason for that was because there was a scene in the book where one of the books they were burning was the Bible, and I'm, it's just like, did y'all not read the whole book? Did you miss the point? And yeah. you know, I just like it's one of those cases where it's like. This book is actually speaking against this. This is just an example of one mm -hmm. of those things. So, <laughs> Well, you know, that's something that, that I think is hard sometimes for people to recognize is that a negative example of something can be just as powerful as a positive example. Mm -hmm. and, and in a book like that, that the, the, the Book Thief by Marcus Duzak, mm -hmm, yeah. I mean, there are so many books that are that are really powerful negative portrayals so that when you finish the book, you know that is not how you want to be. That is not who you want to be. Mm -hmm. and, and to say that those can't be, that if it's a negative portrayal, then it, that's what you want people to come out of it with, that's like missing half of literature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm sure that the, that's just a few of the many examples of 
of something being completely misinterpreted and taken out of context. Mm-hmm. Well, I can think of the people who loved the old TV show All in, a Fam- All in the Family because they thought Archie was absolutely right about everything. Right, yeah. <laughs> and Archie was created to uh, as a negative portrayal of right. that type of behavior in person. Mm-hmm. That was the point of Archie. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch that show. There was too much yelling and high-pitched stuff going on in that show. <laughs> <laughs> so there's not very many anime shows that you can probably watch either. Uh, that could be. But that, you know, you had mentioned earlier about award books, Pat, and I, I did notice that several of these that were on the challenge list were Caldecott winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's an award for the um, illustrations. So I think that's part of Chris's point that th- what's the point in challenging a nothing book, you know, a book that nobody knows about. Yeah. There's no yeah. point in that. You want to challenge what what's going to make the most impact. I was just looking at at the the list of the top 10 challenge books for several years and of course 50 shades of Gra- 50 Shades of Grey by E.L. James is on there. Yeah, I was, I was just looking at that, too. I like and how it's... One of, the, one of the lists that says the reason is concerns that a group of teenagers will want to try it. Also, but other reasons are because it's poorly written. That's right. It is poorly written. It is poorly written. <laughs> and a, if you just go awful. with that, just tell people, ah, you don't want to read that because it's so poorly written. It's poorly just, written. There you go. That's all you need to know. <laughs> also, a group of teenagers may want to try it. It's an adult book. Talk, right. to, talk to your teens, people. Talk to your teens. <laughs> Just Again, it's not like Fifty Shades of Grey was the first book that was like that. What? Right? I mean... Really? But it was popular, yes. so that's it was the... popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we got to make a... Make a big scene about it. But, you right. know, if I'm going to challenge books for being poorly written, I'd be like, uh, that list, list goes on and on, on and on. Yep. And people should be allowed to read what they want, poorly written or not. That is true. If they like it, they like it. I may disagree with your opinion, but you are still entitled to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and just because I think something is poorly written, someone else might not think it's poorly written. But they're wrong. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they're entitled to their... Yes, they are. To their belief of... Hey, and some people read stuff that's bad just because some people watch movies that are bad. That's true. Because it's entertaining. And you know what? That's Mm. okay. That is okay. I do that. I watch a lot of bad movies because they're hilarious. Well, and it seems that a lot of these bad books become movies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're popular. And then they become right. really popular when you tell people not to. Right. Right. Exactly. Let's yeah. turn it into a movie. Speaking right. of which, I saw that the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime mm-hmm. was on here. And though it wasn't turned into a movie, it was turned into a, a stage play and recently a musical. Mm-hmm. So, really? Yeah. Yes. Hmm, that's curious. And it's very curious. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the musical goes on during the nighttime. Well, yeah. When else would you go and see a musical? Matinees. Matinees, yeah. Are y'all going to talk about some of your favorite? I already did. That's you how did? I started. Oh, okay. Um, well, and, and you talked about favorite? A Wrinkle yeah, in Time. Pat, you talked about A Wrinkle yeah, in Time. Yeah. And well, I did want to bring up the, the one that really, I guess, shocked me. And it's been a really t- long time since I've read it, but um, The Diary of Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Denise, you want to talk about that for a second? Well, I saw, and I don't think I have it in front of me right now, but I saw on one of the lists, uh, one of the reasons was that someone thought that it was a bummer. Oh. That the well, Diary of Anne Frank yeah. had objected to it because it was kind of a bummer. Yeah. So only kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer. Maybe we should ban the news, too. Yeah. <laughs> Because sometimes that's kind of a bummer. If we start banning books that are sad, I will have nothing to read. Yeah. I read a lot of sad books. There are those people. Yes. 
I've cried a tear or two at some books. Yeah. <laughs> Which is part but that's, of the fun. It's like I, a yeah, movie, that's too. that's part you know? of it. I mean, you you want to to understand people's experiences and mm-hmm. feelings and emotions. And so the information I have here on the Diary of Anne Frank, it says, challenged for sexual explicitness and for depressing, tragic outcome. So I don't, I mean, like I said, it's been a really long time since I've read it, so I'm not sure what they're referring to on that, but... But yeah, it was kind of. I don't know how sexually explicit it was. She yeah. does. She talks about her crush and yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm sitting here, just like I can't think I, of a. You single. know, I also think that sometimes it's it's a matter of time period and current social mores, and so in the '50s or early '60s, I can see it being considered sexually explicit but after the free love period of the Mm -hmm. 60s and kind Mm -hmm. of the way sort of what's acceptable to talk about and what's not putting the diary of Anne Frank next to a John Green novel right Mm -mm. I don't think that's sexually explicit Mm -hmm. yeah well speaking of historical context one of my other my other most favorite, one of my most favorite band books that, or has been banned, um, that oh, you know, I remember being banned was uh, Gulliver's Travels, mm-hmm. which was banned back when it was first published, back in like what the sixteen hundreds or seventeen hundreds, <laughs> something like that. But anyway, is because it was a direct satire of many of the political figures at the time. Right. Which us reading now would have no context no for that. We know it's a satire, but unless we ha- are really familiar with the his- historical context that it comes from, you know. And yes, there are some, I guess, bathroom humor type moments, <laughs> like where he puts out a fire uh, by by peeing on the fire. But I can't imagine, at least not now, somebody banning it for something like that. Right. Now with all the other stuff we had, and that wasn't even the reason why it was banned back then. It was because he was making a mockery of of the political, the leadership at the time. So, yeah. Well, Jonathan Swift is also the person who wrote the essay about um, a modest proposal. About, about eating Irish babies. Eating Irish babies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's one of those that's still taught in high school and... I think very often, you know, about half the class will get it as satire, and the other half is just appalled <laughs> that this man is saying we should do this mm-hmm. and how to explain it. A great way to explain satire. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, just because something has been banned in the past just discouraging anybody from reading a book because it's been banned or whatever it's like well our display here for banned books week is going to be titled celebrate your freedom to read and one of the the things that that our first amendment rights guarantee us is the right to say what we want to say to have access to those kinds of those kinds of things and so even children Huh? Even children? <laughs> Including children, yes. The, the ALA has put out a, a freedom to read statement for minors in, involving access to minors. The idea that, that children should have access to what they need. So books like How Is My Body Changing and What Should I Get Ready For and, and What's Normal and What's Not... That seems pretty straightforward that that's something children ought to have access to. Mm -hmm. And, of course, a parent can say, no, we'll just talk about what we need to, or you'll just live through it and that'll be it. Whatever, that's their choice. But to have those books available for the kids who want them Well, And and there's so much that's already taught to them in the schools now. Right. That um, it's more of a supplement, you know, learning more about it than being the initiating force, I guess, depending on what the age is. I was thinking of my fifth grade experience when it was all the fifth grade girls piled into one classroom watching the film. And 
<laughs> you know, it was all extra warm because it was like five classes worth of girls sitting in one classroom and it was dark and nobody was paying attention because we were writing notes or whatever and it I'm not sure how effective that is sometimes but well that's true because I got to sit in on the boys Mm -hmm. film class oh boy Um, yes I was subbing that day and Uh, um, got to be the supervisor in that class and yeah, they were. They would pick out one piece and they would laugh, and it's like, okay, you just missed the whole point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you missed the whole point for the whole class. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right, that's true. And I think that you know, of course, depending on the family, I think those books that we have available include a lot more information than what's in. Yes, they do the session at school so Mm -hmm. you know if there's a a particular something that that this child may be worried about or something that's happened to them that they don't understand why it's happening they know it's normal but they don't get it and it's not comfortable or whatever it is they can find out more and we just need to be sure we have those things available even Mm -hmm. if someone tries to to ban them make sure to listen to next week's episode of the Long Overdue Podcast. Check us out on Facebook, our website, decaturpubliclibrary.com.